For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. everybody welcome into this week's believe in wizards podcast as always i'm your host matt moderno fortunately larry hughes will not be joining us this week he's taking a little much needed family time so i hope he's enjoying himself and we have a pretty good fill in instead this week we're going to be joined by bullets forever writer and washington city paper writer ben mitch ben how are you doing this week i'm doing pretty good i'm not as cool as larry hughes um hopefully people are still sticking around and listening to this podcast but i i am the surprise special guest I think you're following this team as closely as anybody. So if if we're going to get some good insight on, you know, how the team's doing in Orlando and how they looked in sort of their first appearance, I think you're a great guy to kind of give us some feedback on that. So uh, I think just starting out, what was your kind of uh, initial reaction and a gut, you know, kind of gut reaction to, to the first scrimmage? I mean, it wouldn't be a Wizards game if something immediately wasn't so Wizards about it, right? I mean, um, you saw the five centered lineup that Denver trotted out there, and that was quickly overshadowed by Bull Bull, who the Wizards had the opportunity um, to draft in the second round. Um, I believe it was last year. And yeah, it was because they picked Admiral Schofield. Yep. And of course, it immediately became a so Wizards thing because Bull Bull looked like a player. And of course, you know, we don't want to draw conclusions immediately uh, after, you know, 25 minutes stint from him. But you know, it's hard not to just seeing the raw talent that he had and, and the fact that the Wizards had the chance to gamble on a player like him who was projected to go in the lottery. And here he is giving you 16 points, 10 rebounds, five blocks. So immediately that overshadowed everything. But you know, besides that, it was just nice to see the team play again. Um, Rui Hachimura did what, you know, he's been doing all season long, um, made the game look easy, even though he's in his first year. Scored at will. I think he ended up with 18 points. Um Troy Brown Jr. showed flashes of being a really good playmaker, um, fit into that role, absent Bradley Beal, and I thought he played really well um, in that regard. And, and the rest of the team really just kind of did what we expected them to do. And Mo Wagner showed up and, and scored. Thomas Bryant looked pretty good in, in the short amount of time that he had. So, um, you know, these games, um, you know, from, from the Wizards' standpoint, are going to be fairly meaningless um, in terms of wins and losses. But I think given that we haven't seen them play in months, it was just nice to see everyone back on the court. And that was sort of my initial takeaway is just anybody playing basketball at this point, regardless of how sloppy it is or, or how much it, you know, looked like a pickup game. I, I think uh, it probably most closely resembled, you know, summer league, um, just not a whole lot of offense that's been installed. Obviously they have their things they work on all year, but it just seemed like there was a lot of just like get out and run and, and hope for the best. And, and me, some, you know, some amount of that is probably just to kind of counter uh, what Denver was doing with this sort of, you know, super jumbo lineup. But I, I think the, First thing you hit on there with Bowl Bowl is is probably the big one that that kind of was the basketball world's takeaway. You know, obviously he was good, and like you said, you can't draw too much from from one scrimmage. But 
Uh, he seemed like he could make an impact at the NBA level. And then the counter to that is Admiral Schofield did not look particularly good. I'm just curious what you thought about, you know, Admiral's spot minutes. See, that's the thing. I mean, you mentioned Summer League, and this is really kind of like a, you know, Summer League on steroids for the Wizards. It's not for other teams because they have mostly their full rosters and they have something to play for. But for the Wizards, you know, the chances of making the playoffs are slim to none. And here they are trying to figure out, you know, who's basically worth keeping, you know, going forward in the future once Bradley Beal and John Wall get back. You know, and Ad- Admiral Schofield being a second-round pick, he's, he's on the bubble there where um, I think the team expected him to be a little bit more NBA-ready. He had the body. Um, I think they were impressed with him, um, given that he played a few years in college, can come right in and have an impact. But he's really struggled um, to find a rhythm all season long. Um, doesn't really seem to have, you know, a particular NBA skill. You know, a, a players like Garrison Matthews came in and right away you can tell that, you know, if nothing else, the guy's going to hustle on defense and hit hit three-point shots. You know, he can fill that role, and you can see him earning a long-term roster spot. A guy like Admiral Schofield, it's odd because, you know, he, he looks like an NBA player. Um, you know, if it quacks like a duck, it's probably a duck. But you watch Admiral Schofield, and, he, you know, he looks like an NBA player, but, you, you know, you watch him, and, and you just can't really – you know, put your finger on it. Something's missing there. Maybe it's lack of confidence or something like that, but um, has really struggled. I think he missed all five of his field goal attempts, just again, struggled out there, even though, you know, the opportunities for him and, and the other players are plentiful and he has to stand out here because he's going to be on the bubble of you know, making the roster next season. So, um, you know, it was disappointing to see him struggle, but again, it's, it's the first exhibition game. Um, he'll have more opportunities to, to um, you know, showcase himself. And I think he'll really need to if he, if he wants to stick around. I think everybody's initial sort of knee jerk is, is you want to compare the two directly. And, and like you said, I think the hope when you had Admiral coming in was that he would be the more NBA ready option. And, you know, Tommy Shepard was going to take guys that were not only good character guys and kind of hard workers, but also guys that could kind of help move the needle right away. And and that was the hope with him that he could come in and bang with people and make enough open shots. And uh, just that's, that's been tough. You know, I watched, Probably I would I would be willing to put on record more G League games this year than, than maybe anybody. And it was just really hit or miss. You know, some some matchups he looked poised and, and confident and he was bringing the ball up the court and taking pull-up threes and, and blocking guys at the rim. And then sort of the next game, you would just forget he was there. And if that's going to happen at the G League level, that's that's not like a great long-term sign for for what he can do at the, you know, the NBA level. I think Jared Utoff is another new name for a lot of folks. And and somebody that he had really good numbers in the G League, so you would hope that he would come in and, and at least be able to be the last guy in the rotation and be productive. He didn't look great either, but I think that's probably a little tougher scenario for him, not having been with the team, you know, not knowing the personnel. Whereas Admiral at this point, I kind of is still young, but at a certain point, like you have to start to show something in those NBA minutes. Yeah, and, and that's the thing. I mean, there are a lot of players on the roster. Obviously, they're all a team and they're a unit and they seem to have great chemistry. But, you know, you can't keep both um, Jared and Admiral going forward because they're kind of similar players. And the same is true, you know, for a guy like Jerome Robinson, Troy Brown, all these wing players, um, Isak Bonga. Like, these guys have to start standing out from each other, um, you know, to be worth keep keeping going forward because, you know, if the Wizards want to have this expedited rebuild, as they've been saying, you can't have a roster full of, you know, borderline NBA players. And that's kind of what the what the Wizards are right now. Um, so it'll be interesting to see who stands out. I know Isak Bonga got a ton of, you know, rave reviews during the workouts. Scott Brooks came out and said that he looked fantastic. I think he put on 10 pounds. Every teammate um, said Troy that Troy Brown said the same thing. Yeah. 
right. I, everyone everyone came out and said that Bonga looked really good during um, you know the practices, and he didn't look great during the game. But of course, you know it's just one ex- exhibition game, and you know I'm excited to see what he does going forward because he, he does have the length. He, he's a good passer for his size. Seems to have some poison. I think if he can knock down that three point shot regularly, he's a guy that might be worth keeping. But that's kind of I think the the story for you know the rest of this quarantine bubble period for the Wizards is to see you know who of these guys that are kind of all grouped together um, is going to start standing out and, and um, you know, separating from one another. I think the Bonga one is a pretty good comparison to Schofield just because, you know, he, he is a considerable amount younger than Admiral, but he's already got like a projectable role as kind of a lanky defender off the bench. And if he can make enough spot threes, like his form's hitchy, but I already have more confidence in his ability to knock down a wide open corner three than I do Schofield. So if, if you're not, not a defender, you're not a distributor and you're not a shooter, it's just really tough. And I think the team's more willing to be patient with someone like Bonga that, that is so young and you know as a project. Whereas if you're Schofield and, and your advantage is supposed to be that you'll kind of come in from day one and push people, it's just not a great sign. And I think, you know, the difficult part that people really haven't been talking about is the fact that their roles um, have been in flux. I mean, you're asking a guy like Isak Bunga and Adam Schofield to play these kind of gap filler roles. And, and it would be easier to play those roles if a guy like John Wall and Bradley Beal were on the court, you know, where you can be a decoy and, and Schofield can, you know, just worry about catch and shoot situations. But now, you know, he's put in a situation where... Troy Brown, uh, with all due respect, is playing the role of Bradley Beal where, you know, the defenses aren't as worried about Troy as they are as Bradley's not collapsing defenses and, you know, he's putting, you know, other players in, in, you know, odd situations. So I think it's kind of, you know, just a weird thing to ask these players to find their roles, even though they're kind of playing out of their role um, as they would be accustomed to playing. So I think that's kind of a a weird thing to keep in mind as well when we talk about these guys. And Troy Brown is is a player I bring up often because, you know, he's he's a positionless player. Um, and normally nowadays that's a good thing, but for him, it's like, he wants to play point guard. Scott Brooks is kind of iffy about him playing point guard, so He's playing this all handling forward role. And now, you know, he would share the court with Brad Beal and play this off ball role. Now he's playing on ball predominantly, you know, being the creator. I think it's kind of an odd thing and, and, you know, to no fault of anybody because Brad's not there and John's not there, um, for injury purposes, but, um, you know, it'll be interesting to see how they continue to develop these players while continuously asking them to change their roles. Yeah, I think context is so important. And and a lot of times, you, I think any of the criticisms you could make, honestly, on, on both Troy Brown and Rui Hachimura, you could kind of explain away by the things that they're having to do right now aren't going to be their typical roles. Like, one of the things I kept seeing is like, hey, does Rui ever pass, you know, like from out of a, or, or take a tough shot? But he doesn't have Beal around him. He doesn't have Bertans around him. Like the, there's just less options to kick it back out. So personally, I'd rather Rui take a semi-contested 15 footer than Bonga take a semi-contested three pointer or something. So it, it just, Troy had another kind of deal where he would drive in, in, you know, in traffic and have nobody to kick it out to. So he'd kind of throw up a floater and there's only so much of those guys can do. Like you need to have the the right personnel around them for them to be successful. But um, just let's stick on Troy Brown for a minute. Uh, were you pleased with the performance overall, or is the shooting that big of a concern? He went one of seven and three, or is it just kind of a, hey, this is rusty, we can explain away the shooting for now? I mean, I'm admittedly very high on him just because I think rarely do find a player with his size, um, with his court vision of basketball IQ. I think you can make use of that player, whether, you know, I don't think he'll ever become an all-stop caliber player or, you know, a face of a franchise or anything like that. But these are the sort of players that, you know, uh, 
move the needle in terms of making you a contender. And obviously the Wizards are far from that, but, you know, Troy Browns of the world, uh, you know, they're rare. You can rarely find a 20, 21 year old with that sort of court vision. Um, He's so ahead of his time in terms of uh, basketball maturity and the way he understands the game. I think that's partially why the Wizards like them. Uh, They're in the pre-draft process. They asked him to drop a play and and he, um, you know, he blew them out of the, you know, blew their minds with the way he was able to articulate the plays. And I think you, know, you could always find use for that player. And I think he showed flashes of that during this exhibition with the way he was able to create, like you said, he made one of seven threes or something like that, but um, you can tell he's comfortable handling the ball. And I think in, in, you know, in a different world, if the team was entirely healthy, you know, he's a player who can take a ton of the pressure off John Wall in terms of the ball handling, you know, and the Wizards haven't had a ball handling forward like that, you know, in, in a very, very long time. So I think he's a guy that I think you can definitely see worth keeping um, long term and, you know, staying on him persistently. And I think if they develop him properly, he's a guy who can give you 15, 16 points a game with five, six assists, you know, and, and I think those value players are the type of players that, you know, teams like the Raptors and Spurs always find and the Wizards always let slip away. So it'd be nice, you know, to actually develop these sorts of players, just given how young he is. And I think he's shown a ton of, that he has a ton of talent, you know. I took a little heat on Twitter for for saying uh, maybe March-ish before everything shut down that if the Wizards were going to be good next year, Troy Brown isn't going to be the starting small forward. And I don't actually mean that as a knock on Troy. It's more so just, I think his role is better suited as a, you know, a secondary ball handler, a guy who can push things off the break and, and facilitate for that second unit where that's a lot of the shortcomings of, of bench players in the NBA is that they can't create for themselves. So he can do that effectively. I just think unless he's going to be a knockdown corner three point shooter, it's hard to play next to wall. And unless Rui takes a big step forward in that department, which he looked better, but uh, it's just hard to have too many non floor spacers out there in meaningful minutes. So I I don't think that's a bad thing for Troy. I think he could have a really useful thing. You stagger some of the minutes. Like you said, he he could take some pressure off wall. But for me, I I think it clarifies the need for like a veteran starting small forward next year, somebody that can really lock down on the wing and and make enough shots to keep people honest. And I think that's kind of um, the thought with all of these players. I think um, you know, it's odd because the Wizards don't have like a blue chip guy as, as good as Rui is. It's not like you can envision him being a, you know, basic franchise type of player. You know, perhaps he, you know, he, he uh, surprises us and becomes that player. But at this point, it's hard to envision that. But you have the roster full of these questions, you know, and I think kudos to, to, the, to the front office for taking chances on these guys. I think Jerome Robinson is a player who's shown some flashes of being a good defender. Um, he hustles hard. And I think if, if he gets some confidence and is able to hit the three point shot, I think he's a player who might, you know, as a player who can fill out your roster and is dependable and you can, you can put in the game and expect him to play defense and knock down threes. So I think, um, you know, the GM has their, uh, Shepard and co have their work cut out for them to figure out what they actually have in these players, because, you know, going forward, like you said, some of these roster spots have to inevitably be filled with veteran guys who you know what you're going to get from because otherwise you're going to be winning 20, 25 games, um, you know, a season again. And if you want to keep Bradley Beal long-term, you want to keep John Wall happy and keep that locker room um, intact, I think you're going to have to eventually start weeding some of these players out. And really this is what this Summer League 2.0 is about for the Wizards right now is figuring out um, which of these players is worth keeping going forward, I think. I think you got to get a little lucky and hit on one of these sort of lesser heralded guys and, and somebody has to develop a little more than maybe even expected. And, and that's probably the frustration for a lot of people on not taking somebody like Bol Bol that has a higher ceiling. You know, there's a lot of like semi-safe picks and probably everybody would agree that they maybe needed some locker room shakeup after the team two years ago. And 
Uh, so it, it's good to have guys like that. But I just sort of went back and looked at the second round picks the Wizards have had this century. All right, ready for this list? Got Admiral Schofield, Sanan, Aaron White, Sadoransky, Shelvin Mack, Dominic McGuire, Vladimir Verminko, uh, Andre Blatch, Peter John Ramos, and Steve Blake. That's those are the guys. Everyone else they traded away. Jordan Clarkson, Manya Bielitsa were guys that they took and got rid of. All these good teams, they get lucky where it's an undrafted guy or not lucky. They've had to put in the scouting work, but you know somebody pops for them that they maybe didn't expect to get as much from. And and the Wizards just really haven't had any of that. Even with first round picks, the ones that they've had, they haven't been able to keep for a second contract. Or like Otto Porter is probably not a great second contract. Yeah, and I, I'm willing to give Tommy Shepard uh, you know, a clean slate here because you know, even though he did work under Ernie Grunfeld for as long as he did, almost you know, two decades there, but um, you know, he wasn't the one calling the shots ultimately. Um, and I, ultimately, and even the Admiral Schofield pick, he wasn't the GM at the time. He was still the intern GM and they were still going after the Denver GM. So I think he was going for the safe pick there, knowing that he might not even have the position you know, in weeks after the draft. So, um, you know, I can't really blame him much there. He was going for the high character guys, like you said, players who appeared NBA ready and maybe didn't want to, you know, shoot for the moon and, and draft a guy like Bobo. But I think, like you said, um, now that he is the permanent GM and, and, and will have years to prove himself, it is time for them to start, you know, um, gambling because a team like Denver that's already, you know, borderline contender, Scott Richer, you know, the guy like Bobo. Watching a player who's 7'2", move as fluidly as he does, hit a block, Troy Brown, run up, get the rebound, run up, up the court and hit a pull of three. It's kind of, you know, uh, a dagger to the Wizards' heart, um, to quote Steve Buckantz there, because, you know, Admiral Schofield, um, God bless him, just can't do anything like that physically and see a guy like Bobo slip through the fingers year after year after year. Like you said, Tomas Sadoransky over Draymond Green, all these players that they could have had. Um, you know, at some point, the Wizards have to put a stop to that. And, you know, it seems like common sense. The Wizards aren't the only um, why all these teams did. I get the injury concern, but, you know, with that much talent, with that much upside, um, you kind of have to gamble there. And the Wizards have to start doing that going forward. And I think the draft is in October, so it'll be interesting to see, um, you know, how they approach that. Yeah, I mean, even a team like Denver, they've, they've gotten to where they are because they took some risks. Um you know, not everybody would have pulled the trigger on Jamal Murray when they did. Jokic was a find. They had Yusuf Nurkic before that. Obviously, it was a, you know, not a super heralded uh, prospect, and, and that worked out pretty well. And then even rolling the dice on Michael Porter Jr., I think something like that really works out for them. It's just, like you said, the rich get richer. So would love to see that here eventually. You know, I, I think one of the guys that, that I did sort of like coming in was, was Jerome Robinson. He didn't look great in the scrimmage so far. He looked fine. He missed some shots you'd expect him to make, but... I like that kind of move, you know, take somebody else's lottery pick that you got for basically nothing. And, and if he works great, if he doesn't, then, then so be it. You're not really out anything. So I'm all for Tommy Shepard rolling the dice on those kind of guys. So even if it's not during the draft, it's, you know, maybe you can get somebody off the Knicks like a Dennis Smith or a Kevin Knox or, or somebody sort of young with some upside that, that maybe their first team's given up on. Sort of what they did with half of the Lakers roster. And it'll be so interesting to see how they assess this roster because, you know, I'm no GM, I'm no scout, but, you know, me and you have been watching basketball forever and it's incredibly hard to assess this roster going forward. You know, a guy like Shabazz Napier will show flashes of being, 
a really solid backup guard. He's entering free agency. Is he worth keeping around, or are you or are you going to keep another undersized guard as they've been doing year after year after year, only to end up regretting doing so and trading him for virtually nothing or giving up a second round pick just to dump his contract? So it'll be interesting to see how the Wizards assess this roster because you know throughout you know the past decade or so, even longer, they have been um, you know yielding towards the veteran guys and, you know, giving up second round picks and younger players uh, for the purposes of getting sort of players who are on the back nine, knowing that, you know, they might contribute for most of the season. And, you know, once the playoffs come around, knowing that they might step up. But now the Wizards in a position where they really have to show their scouting chops and their, and their player development and their player assessment um, capabilities. And with this revamped front office, it's time to, you know, for them to show that they're actually putting the time and they're going to use data to uh, kind of weed out the players that they believe um, aren't capable of becoming contributors. And, and um, you know, years down the line, we'll see whether or not they made the right decision. But um, it'll be really, really interesting to see who's worth keeping around. Because like you said, Jerome Robinson has shown flashes of being a good defender and seems like he's fluid and has confidence, but um, hasn't really been knocking down shots and seeing how he's, he's develops and, and what the Wizards end up doing with that sort of forward slash wing contingent that they have. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of become the most important position in the NBA right now is just have a lot of really good wings or that's the position you want the most depth at. Uh, just And that's sort of their biggest weakness, in my opinion. I think everybody points to the to the center position, but uh, I don't know how you feel about this. For me, I, I always kind of end up being like the Thomas Bryant defender that I think he's going to look so much better with, with like actual competent, you know, high-level NBA players around him. If he's your fifth starter, I think you can be really good. Whereas if Troy Brown is your fifth starter or... Bonga or Robinson next year. I, I don't know what the ceiling is. Yeah, he's a guy who I defend as well because, you know, his first year, I mean, he, he was giving you um, incredibly efficient numbers, 20 and 10 on any given night, you know, shooting 65, 70%, just insane numbers. But, you know, he's really not the modern big man in the sense that you can't really depend on him to block shots uh, and rebound and be that switchable center. Um, whereas nowadays, you know, contending teams have that sort of big man that can space the floor. Um, you can switch defensively. You can depend on him to defend the rim. Thomas Bryant really isn't that guy. So I wonder, even him, you know, him and Mo Wagner, very similar skill sets, both like pick and pop, um, both good role men, both great rim runners amongst the best in the league, but two guys who mirror each other. And I think going forward, you can only keep one of those guys. We're going to have a center who, who, who is uh, predominantly an offensive contributor and lacks defensively. You can only have one of those guys in the roster. And I think the starting guy needs to be, you know, more of a modern type that can, you know, rim run, but also defend and not expect the ball as much, especially when Bradley Beal and John come back. Uh, those guys are going to make up most of the offense anyway. And Thomas Bryant, you know, his offensive contributions might be lessened by the fact, by virtue of, you know, just taking the back seat to John and Brad. So um, those, that's another inner kind of team competition that we have to keep watching. But, um, you know, as much as I love Thomas Bryant, I think you know, we know he can score. We know he can space the floor. Um, he has to show that, you know, he is switchable. He can defend pick and rolls and he's a capable defender. He doesn't need to average two or three blocks uh, per game. He doesn't have to be Rudy Gobert, but you have to be a passable defensive big man, especially for the Wizards who historically this season have been one of the worst defensive teams ever. So we had um, both Brendan Haywood and Atan Thomas on like earlier episodes of the show. And, and the first thing that both of them talked about was just, how hard it is to be a defensive big in the NBA. And like, it, it takes you almost three years just to figure out like where you need to be, especially if you have, you know, kind of a revolving door on the perimeter and you know, Ish Smith and, and guys like that weren't going to be lockdown wing defenders. Brad didn't try for the vast majority of the year. And you don't have an Ariza or somebody to sort of make up for it. But 
Thomas Bryant's at least as athletic as Marcin Gortat. So you got to think that if he can, if he can be positionally just a little bit better, um, maybe that's enough to sort of, to make, make a big stride for the team defensively. Yeah. And I think, you know, with all the respect to Brendan and Ethan Thomas, they weren't defending guys like Nikola Jokic and Anthony sure. Davis and Carl sure. Towns, these guys who basically play like guards, but they're seven foot, seven foot one. And uh, Thomas Bryant, you know, at this point hasn't really shown that he can defend those versatile modern big men, um, you know, and Gortat, I don't think could have done that either. You know, if he ends up becoming as good of a defender, if not better than Gortat, I'm still not sure that's good enough. Right. So I think it'll be interesting to see how he develops in that respect, because the Wizards need him to be a, um, a, a capable defender. Otherwise, they have, you know, a kind of a, an Ennis Canner type of player we can depend on for a double-double. And I think it'd be nice to have him off the bench and, and contribute and take some, you know, scoring pressure off Bradley Beal. But if the Wizards really want to be a playoff contender and, and look competitive with John and Brad and, and um, kind of salvage that backcourt and, and, and their future in Washington, I think you need a, a defensive frontcourt because, you know, John and Brad, you know, they're not all NBA defenders and they probably never will be. And who knows what John Wall will look like after this Achilles injury. So you need a serviceable uh, a productive defensive big and, and right now the Wizards don't have one yeah it's tough and this is kind of the reason why I'd like to see them be aggressive you know in, in the offseason with with regard to that you hear the couple names you hear a lot are, are Miles Turner or Tristan Thompson heard Capella a lot this offseason even maybe some Andre Drummond for me I just feel like modern NBA you can't have two non-shooters on the court in meaningful minutes down the stretch and you saw in that playoff series against Boston in, in I guess 2017 where they sort of just like dared John Wall to shoot. So now if it's one less guy that can kind of stretch the floor, I just think that puts them at a, at a real disadvantage. So going out and get somebody that can protect the rim, but also just at least, you know, make teams kind of respect their jump shot, I think is sort of what they got to find. Yeah, I think a Miles Turner type of player um, fits the mold of what they need. I'm not sure he moves the needle. I look at his rebounding numbers and it kind of scares me. I'm a seven-footer who's giving you six rebounds a game. Um, is never, you know, um, a thing that you want to see on the stat sheet. But obviously, he's an impact defender. Um, you know, he fits the mold of of a center. I think that most teams look for nowadays. But um, it is interesting. They can also try and fill that void via the draft. There are some, um, you know, especially if they end up in the lottery, and, and which they almost certainly will. And if they move up somehow and and nab a top five pick or whatever it may be, I think there are some, um, you know, players in this year's draft who. Um, seem to have the capabilities of, of the players that we just talked about and, and could probably be serviceable centers, uh, you know, from day one and you know, become good defenders, I think, in long term. But, you know, what does that mean for the future? If they do fill that void um, via the draft, that means you're kind of kind of committing to the rebuild in the sense that, you know, you're probably going to expect to be on the bubble of the playoffs, if not miss the playoffs altogether. And, you know, that could, you know, snowball effect into Bradley Beal potentially getting traded or whatever the case may be. So, you know, I think the Wizards are toying with the idea of expediting, um, you know, this rebuild. But, you know, when you look at this roster and you look at the realities of their cap space situation, it's going to be really hard to you know, fast track this rebuild, understanding that, you know, no one on this roster is going to change the, the look of the Wizards overnight. You know, guys we mentioned, Troy Brown, Rui, Isak Bonga, all guys who might become really good role players, you know, hopefully none of them are, you know, going to, change the you know 10 not normally gonna give you 10 wins alone so it'll be interesting to see what the wizards if they're going to be honest with each other because i think they haven't been honest uh, haven't taken an honest approach with the roster in, in a very long time but you know tommy shepherds has been saying all the right things and um has has made some really solid small moves and it'll be interesting to see how he you know approaches this odd offseason 
you know, he hit on a couple ones earlier too. The the Napier one, I, I think, is kind of big. Um, does he, he's going to get a lot of minutes? And and you know, he made all three of his threes. He looked pretty scrappy on defense. He is a little undersized, probably, but I think he makes like one and a half million a year or something right now. He's almost certainly, if he gets good minutes, going to play himself out of that price range. And you know, whatever the cap looks like next year, and then Berton's salary, you're really basically relying on Wall to come in and be your big free agency addition. And I don't know about you, but that personally kind of scares the shit out of me. Yeah, I mean, that's that's really scary. And I, I love John Wall just as much as everyone. And I love how confident he is. And the fact that Scott Brooks continuously says, you know, John Wall could look better than he ever did. But the reality is he's 30 years old now. He's coming off you know, the worst injury you could possibly have. And he hasn't played an actual basketball game by the time he comes back in two years. And that's a, I don't remember a player who's taken that long of a break and come back and looked better than they did once they, you know, the last time we saw them. Um, so I think he has... It's an uphill battle for him. Um, his contract is damn near untradeable. No contract is untradeable, but his is right there. It's um, close. With, with some of the worst the Wizards have ever had, and that's saying something because the Wizards have had some pretty terrible contracts. So um, Shepard is really going to show himself to be, you know, one of the better GMs if he managed to manages to, you know, scramble a competitive team together next year because uh, you know they're they're really up against the wall with the cap space and, and, and the roster flexibility is practically non-existent. But that's where I think um, they're banking on, like you said, full circle to, you know, make, get something out of some of the guys they've taken a chance on, the Jerome Robinsons, the Admiral Schofields, the Jerry and Grants of the world, who, whomever ends up coming out of this, um, you know, eight game stretch looking like a player, I think could, you know, potentially make a difference going forward. Yeah, I think one of the kind of underrated pieces of, of this whole bubble setup is is the opportunity for them to scout other guys in, in person that maybe they wouldn't get to. It's it's a tryout for their players, but it's also a tryout for everybody else's fringe guys. So hopefully uh, he's kind of sitting in the stands at, at every game and um, just getting getting a firsthand look at those kind of marginal players and see if anybody you know has a has some upside because you got to take a chance on someone and there's enough kind of, you know, fringe NBA guys that are playing right now that, that maybe you get some, uh, some kind of steal that somebody else doesn't see. And anything you're looking for out of the bubble in particular, is there one, maybe two guys that like you would love to see uh, them do a particular thing or fill a particular role or see a big improvement from? I think, you know, given that we had, you know, what, four months off, that's, you know, I think the period that was off during this pandemic was probably longer than even a regular NBA offseason. And, you know, granted, the players didn't have as much access to facilities and whatnot and probably didn't have as great of a chance to improve their skills. But, you know, I think the opportunity was still there, especially towards the end there where they did have access to you know the practice court. It would be really nice to see Rui become more comfortable shooting the three because he's a guy who's shown, you know, real potential offensively, someone who shown flashes of being able to be a player who can grab a rebound and go. Uh, that's a forward that the Wizards haven't had before. Um, a forward you can give the ball to and expect the basket. Um, but once Wall gets it back, once Beal gets back, they're going to need a forward who can space the floor, play a pick-and-pop role, and not just hit those elbow jump shots, but actually you know, space the floor a little bit because Bradley Beal needs that. And um, if he can hit the three consistently, I think that'll be, you know, if that's the only thing the Wizards get out of this bubble, it's, um, you know, if Rui is able to hit that three consistently, they're going to get a forward who they can rely on and expect to be their starting forward, um, you know, for the long term. And I think hopefully Rui um, shows that he's capable of hitting the three. And, he, and, I, and I hope he starts taking them more, miss, you know, miss or make, because he has a tendency to you know, pump fake out of threes or pass up on open threes for the sake of taking, an, you know, an 18-foot jump shot. And I think, Although he has been hitting them regularly, 
um, you know, to be a modern NBA four and, and to, you know, expand his potential and um, help the team more offensively. I think he'll need to show himself to be, you know, a capable three-point shooter. And of course, we talked about Troy Brown too. I think showing himself to be a reliable guard, um, someone who's comfortable hitting threes. Again, this is all kind of um, things that we expected them to improve on if we had a regular offseason, but um, we had kind of a, a weird offseason, so hopefully they show those improvements um, in, during this bubble. They'll never do this, but in a perfect world, I actually think it would be better to have Rui kind of come off the bench next year just from a fit perspective. I think Berton stretches the floor better. He's a better team defender at this point. He's not like lockdown, but Rui was pretty bad on that end. And you could just kind of give him the ball and let him be the primary option off the bench. Again, I don't, I don't see Scott Brooks ever doing that, just given sort of the investment they've made on him and how much hype there's been around him. But to your point, yeah, if he's not going to shoot it, that, that really kind of handcuffs you for next year. Yeah, I mean, I think we covered, we went, you know, the one guy we just pass on when we talk about the Wizards in general is is Andrzej Patsuznik, and he's a guy who kind of, um, he's kind of a microcosm of what the Wizards are. He's, he's um, you know, a random guy, probably no one's ever heard of, who's shown flashes of being okay, kind of, sort of, um, and Jan Mahinmi's contract is off the book, so he's another guy who might um, be worth, you know, keeping just for the sake of, um, roster flexibility and the, and the fact that the Wizards basically have no money to spend and, and, and he's big. So that's a good thing to have a big player and you're in the NBA. That's kind of a, an important aspect of being an NBA player and he checks that box. He's the closest thing to like a you know traditional rim protector that they have on the roster. I mean, he's at least got the size and he's really vertical, I guess that's a skill. So uh, he's a guy, yeah, like you said, on a minimum contract, I would love to see back next year and He's a former first-round pick, so there's still some hope that he gets better there. You know, I've heard some talk about maybe we try to keep Mahinmi on a veteran minimum. Uh, of the two, I'd, I'd rather have AP just because at least there's potential to get better. And, uh, you know, maybe that's one more incentive for Bertans to stick around just because they're both good buddies and, you know, happy life uh, keeps them around. Yeah, the, the Mahimi thing is weird because he's kind of like a girlfriend who the relationship has been over, but you're kind of stuck with because for whatever reason, you just can't get out of. But you see the end is near, and although it might be more comfortable staying together, it's time to end that end that uh, relationship because it should have probably never happened, and, and he's a reminder of the past, a.k.a. Ernie Grunfeld, and, and the countless mistakes that he's made. So, you know, Mahimi's a great pro, and... Um, I think he made the most of his opportunity in the sense that he collected his money and, and didn't play very well in Washington, but it's time to, it's time to end that relationship, I think in DC. Yeah. You hear a lot of good stories about, you know, he took some of the young guys out shopping and he works pretty hard. And, and we had Ryan Richmond, the go-go coach on to talk about, uh, you know, he mentioned specifically how much Mahin me has like really pushed some of the younger guys in, in workouts. And he's been a good example, you know, he's how 30, however many years old and, He's like sliding on the floor for loose balls during, you know, workouts. So you like stuff like that. It's maybe fair, unfair. Like if he's gone, that kind of leaves Wall and Beal as sort of the two, I guess ish too, but that's sort of your veteran core. And and I don't know how much, I don't know this firsthand. I'm not saying he doesn't, but I don't know how much Wall is like really taking some of these young guys under his wing and like really working with them on how to be a pro and and stuff like that. So adding an old guy, you know, to kind of come in and, and do some of that stuff Mahimi gives you isn't a bad idea. I just don't want it to be him again next year. We call it good old Trevor Reza. So yeah. that's the go-to for them. I don't know what he's doing if he's, if he's a free agent, but if he is around and Wizards um, feel the, the locker room kind of on fragile 
um, in terms, I think they'll pick up the phone and call a guy like that. So th- there's going to be room for those players. I think Garrett Temple might be available. Um, it would be nice to get one of those two guys back, I think, in D.C. Yeah, and if he's not a free agent, we could always trade a first-round pick yeah, again for him or, or something. Um, we, we can make him available. Yeah, all roads lead back to Torrens. Yeah, or, you know, maybe one of the Brooks, Marshawn Brooks, somebody, you know, somebody like yeah. that. <laughs> uh, ben, thanks for going through this with me. I appreciate the the chat and just kind of running down the players and, and getting some thoughts. Um, you know, it's, it's nice to hear your perspective and, and you're really plugged in with the team. So it's good to, to kind of give that for folks. Uh, what do you got coming up article-wise? What can people look for? Yeah, um, I'm not as cool as Larry Hughes. I, um, I hope he can stuck around for this, but... Um, you know, just covering this team um, as we have been as regularly as possible. We do these Zoom calls. I don't know if you've had the chance to get a hop on these with the Wizards, but we do them basically every day. And, and it's cool to pick their brains and see how they're reacting to the food they eat and, and the development of the players. So, um, you know, we try and post those articles on both forever fairly regularly. Where can folks find you on social media and stuff? Yes, I'm on Twitter. You can find me at Ben Mahich NBA, and I'll probably lament about... Um, Something probably Isaac Bong and not shooting a three point shot well, so yeah, you can, you can find me there. Cool, hey, well, thanks so much for doing this. Uh, we'll have to have you on again, you know, as, as the season progresses or whatever little bit of the season is left progresses. Um, but yeah, thanks so much, and everybody check him out on social media. Uh, find his articles at Bolts Forever, it's really good stuff. Awesome, thank you, man. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done.